BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. One of the things that we're learning, first of all, is that this virus is killing people of color, black people specifically, African-Americans, in much higher proportions than it is killing white people. I don't know that I've seen any statistics on Hispanics, and that will be coming out, I'm sure, as time goes on. But right now, in Louisiana, black Americans make up 70% of coronavirus deaths. In Chicago, there's 72% of coronavirus-related, COVID-19-related deaths are black Americans. That's six times the rate for white Chicago residents. In both areas, only 30% of the population is black. In Illinois, as a whole, black Americans are only 14% of the population, but they're statewide, 41% of the coronavirus deaths. In Michigan, black Americans, 15% of the state's population, 40% of coronavirus deaths. In Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, 81% of the people killed so far are African-Americans. Number one, African-Americans are more likely to be doing blue-collar work than white-collar work, so they're less likely to be able to work from home, so they're more likely to be out there and being exposed to this virus, number one. Number two, the African-American community has been widely discriminated against throughout the entire history of this country. You know, obviously, you know, enslavement and everything else, but, but just in the last... 60, 70 years. The reason why red states, in particular the southern states, have been unwilling to go along, the reason why they were unwilling to go along with single-payer health care when Harry Truman proposed it in 1947, the reason why they were unwilling to go along with single-payer health care when John Kennedy proposed it in 1961, the reason why these red states were unwilling to go along with Medicaid expansion all across the states in 1967 when Lyndon Johnson put it into law. The reason they refused to go along with it was because they did not want, quote, undeserving black people, that was one of the phrases that was commonly used in the South, to get, quote, free health care. That's the simple reality, is that racism has created economic inequalities, but also health care inequalities and health care outcome inequalities. And as a consequence of not having access to good health care, And as a consequence of not having access to good jobs, in many cases, you have a large population, a consequential chunk of the African-American population that is suffering from the diseases of poverty and oppression, including hypertension, which is the number one risk factor, the most lethal risk factor for coronavirus. About half of coronavirus deaths coming out of China were people who had hypertension and obesity and diabetes, which is the second most dangerous of these things. Prior to 1965, it was Democrats in the South who opposed black people getting health care. Now it's Republicans. Bottom line, racist white people is the bottom line. Last night on her program on MSNBC, Rachel Maddow pointed out something that I had been noticing here in Oregon and I assumed was probably a nationwide phenomena, but I hadn't done the research, and she did, and she talked about it on the air last night. I subscribe to The Oregonian. Louise and I get the statewide newspaper. It's actually published by, I think it's Newhouse. It's a New York company anyway. Publishes it, as is the case with so many newspapers around the country. You know, they're owned by out-of-state owners these days because 1996, they blew up the ownership laws with the Telecommunications Act. But in any case, I've been noticing in the local paper 
and the Oregonian that almost every day there is a story about people dying in old folks' homes here in Oregon. And in fact, you know, our first fatalities in Oregon were in a, a retirement, a senior living center that was associated with the Veterans Administration. It was a, it was a home for old vets. I believe a little over half of the total deaths we've had in this state have been in old folks' homes, or whatever you want to call them, assisted living facilities or retirement facilities, places where people go when they're in their 80s and 90s and in bad shape. You know, obviously far more vulnerable to any kind of lung infection. This is places where when the seasonal flu comes around, you see people falling and dying as a consequence of the flu. In fact, that's where probably the majority of the flu deaths happen in the, in the United States, the seasonal flus. So it just makes sense. But her point was that it's happening in every state in the union. I mean, you can pick up any local newspaper around the country. If there's not a hard news story about another old folks home that's been discovered to have the coronavirus in it, then you just look at the obituaries and you'll see that, you know, all these people in their 80s and 90s are dying, and 70s really, are dying, and many of them are living in these assisted living facilities. This is just not being discussed. We're not much talking about the fact that if we're going to pursue the herd immunity path, if we're not going to have a robust, comprehensive, well-coordinated, well-managed national testing program, both for the virus itself and for antibodies to the virus, in other words, both a test that will tell you if somebody has an active infection and a test that will tell you if somebody had an infection in the past and therefore has antibodies to it and may even be immune. That, you know, if you're gonna pursue this, this herd immunity idea, then you know, the first, the, the canary in the coal mine, as it were, is gonna be old folks' homes. And they're crashing all over the country. And in fact, I think that that was the first, you know, the first major outbreak up in Washington State, too, was in a retirement home or an old folks' home. Uh, you know, I'm using this, I'm, I'm sure it's not the proper medical term or, or industry term, but, you know, for lack of knowing exactly how to say it, I'll call them old folks' homes. Assisted living, Sean tells me. <laughs> Whatever, I'll call them old folks' homes. The second domino to fall, if this is your canary in the, in the coal mine, I, I realize I'm strangling a metaphor here, but the second domino to fall, as it were, the second bird to die in the birdcage in the mine is going to be people who are at higher risk of death from other sources, from other, other kinds of infections, including the flu. People who are substantially overweight and have the diseases that are typically associated with that, high blood pressure, hypertension, and obesity. People who have hereditary hypertension or simply as a consequence of their age and perhaps you know, eating too much salt throughout their lives, they've got hypertension because their arteries are hardening up. Those people are gonna be at risk, but particularly people who are experiencing poverty. Because you know, these are the diseases of poverty. Obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, kidney failure. These are all associated with poverty and for a very simple reason. Poor people tend not to eat well. And it's not that they don't choose to eat well, it's that in many parts of the country, they live in food deserts. The easiest place to shop, and in some cases, the only place to shop for food, is their local equivalent of a 7-Eleven or a dollar store. And in fact, the dollar stores are ordering massive amounts of fast foods, and they're open. They're open just like supermarkets. So you see these diseases, and, and you know, the herd immunity theory would suggest that you know, those people would be the ones to die off. And sure enough, that's what we're seeing. When we look at the statistics, we're seeing, you know, in Chicago, we're seeing it in New York, we're seeing it in New Orleans, cities with substantial black populations, but not black majorities. You know, 20, 30% in that range, black populations are dying as 70 to 80% of the deaths. And of course, when you add the old folks' homes to those numbers, and by the way, many of those numbers are not being counted as COVID deaths because, hey, you know, he was 90 years old, he died. Okay, end of discussion. We're also not counting the people who are dying at home. In New York, they're digging mass graves. 
It's now a thing in New York that they're collecting bodies from apartments and homes and taking those bodies to be buried in these mass graves. This is the result of a policy. Now, I'm not saying that it's a policy of genocide. I realize, you know, the first hour I kind of danced right up to the edge of that, but I want to back away from that. I'm not saying that the Trump administration sat down and said, let's kill off a bunch of people. Instead, I think what they did is the, the same thing that the British health minister suggested. They sat around and said, what's the fastest way to get this epidemic over with and to get our country working again and get our economy back in gear? If we're going to value the present and future economy and Donald Trump's reelection and the ability to reopen the Trump golf courses and Trump hotels that are hemorrhaging money right now, if we're going to value that higher than the lives of old people, poor people, and minorities, then let's just do it. Let's just let this virus burn through America. You've got eight Republican governors who have no shelter-in-place standards in their states at all. You've got a couple of Republican governors who have reversed the decisions of local towns and communities to shelter in place, overruled them and said, no, you can't do that. Now, why would they do that if they didn't think that having the largest number of people get this virus as quickly as possible, where as many as a a quarter to a third of them will have no symptoms at all. They'll simply be contagious carriers in the community for a month while their body fights it off. And then another half to another third of them, more or less, are going to get sick, but it's going to be something like a severe flu. And then the remaining third of them are going to get really sick, but about half of them are going to survive, or actually a lot more than that. Only, you know, six or eight percent of them are going to die. They're going to require hospitalization. Yes, it's going to put a strain on our resources. Yes, but when we're done, we'll have a majority of the population who are immune to this virus and we can go back to work and Trump can reopen his hotels. If you're going to put the economy above the lives of basically fragile people, then what the Trump administration is doing in saying, no, we're not going to provide you with testing, makes such perfect sense. I just wish that they would be honest with us about it, if this is the policy that they're pursuing. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Note to White House reporters this afternoon, if you're going to ask Donald Trump a question, ask him, are you pursuing the herd immunity strategy here? Jack in Cortez, Colorado. Hey, Jack, what's up? You know, I've been thinking about this for a while, and it seems to me that a lot of the leaders in the world just want to reduce the population, not just Republicans, but there seems to be like this attitude of this would be a good thing. What do you think? I think that probably I'm the only person who's talking out loud about this in the country. And I think that this is absolutely what's going on. And there have been a number of libertarians who months ago were speaking out about this and saying, we really need to just let this thing burn through the population. It'll get rid of the deadwood. It'll clear out a bunch of poor people. It'll clear out a bunch of old people. It'll open up the economy to young, healthy people who are going to be the people who are more affluent, which means they're going to be the people who are more white. I think that there's a racist piece to this a genocidal racist piece to this, frankly. And I think that it's wrong. The science behind it is is actually real. I mean, you know, yes, if you kill off a million Americans and in the process you let, you know, 100 million Americans get infected or maybe even 200 million Americans get infected and say you got a half a percent death rate, that's a million Americans dead if 200 million Americans are infected. And now you've got a population that can go back to work and they don't have to worry about the virus and they can remain healthy and all that kind of stuff. And arguably, that would be the best thing for the economy. It would get us back to work within six months to a year. But the toll would be horrible or is horrible. We are looking at that toll right now. We're we're pushing 20,000 dead Americans. China stopped it at 3,000. South Korea stopped it at 800. New Zealand stopped it at one, one dead person. This is their strategy, is 
let the old die, let the weak die, let the poor die, let the people of color die. And, you know, what's going to come out of this is going to be, you know, at the end of the Turner Diaries. Jack, thanks for the call. And thanks for, for asking that question. The Turner Diaries is this novel that was published back in the 60s or 70s that has completely captured the imagination of the hard right, the racist hard right in America. In fact, it animated Tim McVeigh. And in the Turner Diaries, there's this guy who has figured out that Jews and black people, presumably Hispanics, but specifically Jews and black people, are basically moochers on society and need to be done away with. So he's trying to goad the federal government into such an overreaction that it'll cause a revolt in the United States. It'll cause a second civil war. And so he blows up a federal building in Oklahoma City, kills hundreds of people. This is in the novel. Kills hundreds of people. In response to that, Tim McVeigh did this two years after Waco, to the day, which was, I believe, a year after Ruby Ridge. I could be wrong on that, but it, you know, right around there. Those are the two things that he cited. These were both during the Clinton administration when the right-wingers were convinced that this Democratic president was going to lock down everybody. So in the novel, the president of the United States says, okay, that's it. You just killed a couple hundred people with a bomb in, in a federal building. We're going to take away everybody's guns. And the jackbooted thugs start going door to door and taking people's guns. That's in the novel. And as a result, the good white Christian armed people of America rise up, start killing Jews, start killing black people. And at the end of the novel, they have taken down the government. And the only people left standing are the good white Christians with their guns. And I think that that, you know, that scenario is being played out right now, only instead of using guns, they're using a virus. I, you know, I can't come up with any other explanation for why the Trump administration refuses to say that we should have a national testing program, why the Trump administration knew in November that this was coming. They knew in December that this was coming. They knew in January that this was coming. And on January 20th, they knew it was here. And at no point during any of that did they even begin testing. The World Health Organization and a German manufacturer had a test kit coming out in the end of January. And the Trump administration said, no, we don't need that. All through February, Donald Trump was lying through his teeth, saying, oh, it's going to go away. It'll just be magic. Even early March, he was lying through his teeth as this virus is burning through America. What other possible explanation is there than that they actually want the virus to burn through America? Because then they will successfully get rid of all the weak, in quotes, the poor, the people of color, and the elderly who are just sucking up all those dollars from those billionaires with their Social Security and Medicare. Just think of all the money we could save. If a whole lot of old people died, we could lower taxes on billionaires even more. I realize this is like, you know, people are going to portray this as conspiracy theory. Please give me an alternative explanation for the behavior of these people. What they're trying to claim, or their supporters try to claim, is, well, Trump is just incompetent. I don't believe it. Yes, I believe that Trump is incompetent, generally speaking, but the federal government, the entire executive branch, to have that level of incompetence? No, that's just not credible. It's not believable. What do you think? I mean, do you, do you think I'm right here? Have I stepped off the ledge? Have I just, like, am I falling through empty space now? Or does this make a certain amount of sense? I really don't want to be the Alex Jones of the left here. I'm, I, and I don't think I am. I think that this is actually, like I said, this is consistent with what the British health minister was saying just three weeks ago. You're listening to Tom Hartman. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. David in Los Angeles. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? I've been listening to the numbers as it relates to blacks dying and being infected by this virus, which is extremely alarming throughout the nation. Now, yes. after hearing those numbers, I called um, Clyburn, right, who endorsed Biden and allowed him to catapult from South Carolina. And hence now he's the presidential candidate. And I cut him a new butthole because it's like what Bernie was suggesting. Now we talk about the ACA, a brother called in concerned about that. And you rightfully pointed mm -hmm. out that Trump can't even go back to throwing people off of the health care road after this madness is over with. But the reason I went off on Clyburn is like, What's going on in the black community in relationship to those crumbs to which uh, they are that that first trot of um, bailouts were about now that they got to go back now. Right. Mm -hmm. None of this was taken into consideration. Nor and I called in um, before Tom and our the congressman was on and I asked him how soon will this money be dispersed. Right now. Yeah. Um, now, Tom. I um, have been talking to a lot of my um, friends and, and whatnot and colleagues in reference to different aspects of this payout. And one of the guys called in who's on Social Security, right? And he hasn't filed that because he's retired for years. He don't know how he's going to get paid. So he's now probably he going to get paid through the Social Security. They will use that as the way of knowing who he is, where he is, and how much money he makes. Yeah, but that's the probability. But the vehicle by which this thing should be ironed out and and already uh, organized to make this possible, we're still dealing in probabilities. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So, right, because um, it's up to the Trump administration to administer this, and we can't trust them to be competent at anything they do. But we need to, as Democrats or the so-called progressives, if you will, when you're having a boxing camp, you have to have somebody in there to spar with that is up to snuff to, you you know, to bringing you up. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, if we yeah. just go in there and we pretend as though, huh, you know, we have did our due diligence for this, getting prepped for this. What we're going to get is what we got the last time. And that mm -hmm. is you're going to get five hundred billion dollars for those who are not inquiring as to how they're going to get their money. Yeah. But the people are out here inquiring about there and the vehicle by which it's going to be um, sundown and when. We don't know that out here. Yeah, I'm with you. Javon in Los Angeles. Hey, Javon, what's up? What's up, Professor? Good to hear from you. Blessings, blessings, blessings to you and yours. And I hope that your workers and your family and friends are staying safe during this time crisis. Yeah, man, I want to jump right into it, honestly. Um, and I'm sorry to hear about Kate. Blessings, Kate. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, you hear about that all over the news that's happening right now. Families that come in, doctors that come in, and they can't touch and hug their kids because, you know, they have to shower and trash their clothes and all that. And it's just a heartbreaking thing all around. Um, so, however, we are still in an election year. People have to remember that. And part of this problem that we have in America is because of our administration. 
we have to somehow come up with some strategies to keep people positive for voting somehow and um, knowing that mm-hmm. this is an election year and getting people somehow, you know, to take their mailing and ballot serious and, and extensions take it serious. I'm with you. And the plan that Ron Wyden and Earl Blumenauer have put forward in the Senate and the House, respectively, to uh, give millions of dollars, uh, half a billion, and, and it may actually cost two billion, but to give a lot of money to the states so that they can print ballots, absentee ballots. And these 17 states where you've got to have a doctor's slip in order to get an absentee ballot, blow that out and just make <sighs> nationwide you know, voting by mail possible. We now have both the president and you know, Republican elected officials now and have come out and said, if that happens, if everybody is allowed to vote by mail, there will be no Republicans left, <laughs> which would be a really good outcome for the country. That's but, the idea, uh, right? They're going to fight this. They're going to the mattresses, Javon. They're saying, no, no way. We're not going to let people vote. Now, they have never been in favor of people voting. Yeah, man. You know, it's, 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 it's a sad thing to hear that we Americans, colonial elements, put down places like Venezuela that has it right. Right, right. Yeah. that has it right. We put them down, and we tell them, we shun them, we make, and we are the most powerful country in the world, and so on and so forth. And yet, the democracy is on point. We sidetrack them with people like that, whoever that guy is. I can't think of his name for against Maduro. Not who I'm not a fan of either. But you know, it's just, it's just like this pathetic thing. And yet, we don't have our voting processes to the trash. I'm being nice as much as possible on radio, yeah. but um. I called today just to say, well, what, what's, what, what are other strategies people can be doing that we should be thinking about and, and keeping people um, I think empowered. I think people need to be calling their, if they live in one of those states that doesn't have really, really easy vote by mail, they need to be calling their governors, they need to call their state representative, they need to call their state senator, and they need to be raising hell at the local level on this stuff. And then they need to be calling their, their member of the House of Representatives and both of their senators. And oh, these are all red states. Plus New York State, which the legislature in New York State has been effectively run by the Republicans for a long, long time because there's some Democrats who toss in with them. People need to get on this, Javon. It's a really, really important point. I don't have any connections over at Johns Hopkins University, but I've got their coronavirus COVID-19 global cases by the Center for Systems Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. I've got this page up and it shows that there's 1.4 million confirmed cases in the world, 400,000 of them in the United States, 146,000 in Spain, 135,000 in Italy, etc. In the total confirmed cases, it lists U.S. at the top of the pile. We have now hit 13,000 people dead in the United States as a result of two months, three months of Donald Trump's lies. And now it's looking like he was actually notified back in November. So I think we could say four months of Donald Trump's lies. But when you look at the deaths on the Johns Hopkins page, this has me baffled. We're at 13,000 deaths right now, right? Keep that in your mind. It says total deaths, 83,000, and then it lists by country. 17,000 deaths, Italy. 14,000 deaths, Spain. Now keep in mind, we're at 13,000. But then it jumps to France. 10,000 deaths, France. 6,000 deaths, United Kingdom. 4,000 deaths, New York City. 3,900 deaths, Iran. 3,200 deaths, Hubei, China. Why doesn't it have the United States on that list? Is Johns Hopkins afraid of Donald Trump? Is that what's going on here? I mean, under recovered, it says 77,000 China, 48,000 Spain, 36,000 Germany, 27,000 Iran, 24,000 Italy, 22,000 U.S. They've got our aggregate numbers in total confirmed, and they got our aggregate numbers in recovered, but under deaths, they don't have aggregate United States numbers. And within the next four or five days, we're going to be number one in the world in terms of deaths because Donald Trump lied to us all these months. What's going on with Johns Hopkins? You know, I'm scratching my head here. If you've got any connections there or you know what's going on, let me know uh, what's going on. Michael in Stagecoach, Nevada. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? I have a son that's addicted to heroin, and right now he's in prison in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, my. And I finally got to hear from him, and he tells me that someone in his pod has died, a young man from coronavirus. They waited. He was uh, couldn't breathe to take him to OSU. And he has an infection of some kind. 
and they're telling the prisoners they have a science affection. And something's happened with the staff. They're down to one mill a day. They hardly have staff. He said yesterday the prisoners are so scared that the staff talked them out of rioting. And he's scared to death, and people are dying, and he's being lied to. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. And I also wanted to share with you the first time I ever talked about him was when I talked about him three years ago when he wanted to go to, to college. And it wasn't a Pell Grant. And I want people to hear the results of, of austerity and how it affects young people. And my son is being punished maybe with death, being addicted to drugs. I wanted to share with you, but I, you know, I have to hang up. I'm so upset, but thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. I'm so sorry to hear that story, and, and uh, we all need to be praying for Michael's son. These are such difficult times. Dan in Chicago. Hey, Dan, what's up? Hello, Tom. God bless you for all that you do. Thank you, I would like to, I'd like to preface what I'm about to say with, I don't mean to offend anyone who is Caucasian, Caucasian descent in what it is I'm about to say. I am a 55-year-old African-American male. To the issue of whether or not this is herd immunity, white people have to stop wondering whether or not what is clearly happening in front of you is happening. This man has brought down every norm that there is. Anyone who is patriotic or competent is long gone. When it comes to voting for this man, he was only possible on the heels of a Barack Obama election. That is to say, the first African-American president in the history of the United States. And there was a lot of hatred involved with that as well. Yep. But we found out that this man is akin to Vlad, this man and the Republican Party, this iteration of the Republican Party, this ilk that has been in existence since the Ronald Reagan era, for which, by the way, a man by the name of Lee Atwater admitted to the racism on his deathbed. Yep. Ronald Reagan and the Republican Party and now Donald Trump, these people are akin to Vlad the Impaler. All you get is blood. But he's only possible if you allow him in your home. If he shows up with blood on his mouth, blood on his hands, blood everywhere, how do you not recognize that this is Vlad the Impaler? I would suggest to you it's because white people have enjoyed a first-class or a presumed first-class citizenship until Ronald Reagan showed up, and it's been changing for the worse ever since. There was a woman... There was a woman in Michigan. I was looking at the 2016, just before the election, and there was five people at the table, and they all had different reasons why they were going to or not going to vote for Donald Trump. And there was a black woman at the table, and they asked her, they said, well, what's your opinion? She says, I will not vote for Donald Trump because at 9 o'clock in the morning, he says one thing. By 12 o'clock, he says another thing. By 3 o'clock... He says that I never said any of those things. This was in 2016. This is right. the man that we're looking at right now. Lastly, Tom, when you run government like a business, people die, period. Have a yep. good day. God bless you for all that you yeah. do. Thank you, Dan. I can disagree with nothing you said. I can't find a single thing. And the point of running government like a business, which is what George Bush and Dick Cheney promised to do and did, and thousands, hundreds of thousands, if you include the lives of Iraqi, Iraqis and Afghanistan citizens, died. Thousands of Americans died as a result of the way that they ran the government, including the people who died on 9-11 because they ignored all those warnings. Yeah. And a for-profit corporation. This is one of the reasons why we have Cancer Alley in Louisiana and Texas. Because these giant refineries down there are pumping all these poisons into the air and the winds, the prevailing winds come out of the west and carry all that poison downwind and it's largely into black neighborhoods. Guess what? Cancer Alley. Well, they're willing to let people die 
in order to maintain their profits. I'm with you. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Well, my thing is, uh, you know, we, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago about the culling of the American citizens. And now we see, you know, that it's become more pacific, like the black and brown are being killed or dying more so of this virus than any other group of people. And to me, it's all about the vote this fall. If he can get enough dead and then enough discouraged not to vote, then he feels he can get back in. And frightened, Maine, I would add. I think that the part of the logic that they were pursuing in Wisconsin, I think what they were testing in Wisconsin was given the, the fact that the majority of Fox News viewers think that this thing is inflated and the majority of Democrats are freaked out that will the Democrats leave their house to what extent will Republicans show up because they don't think there's anything to worry about. I really think that they were testing that hypothesis. And we won't know for a few more days when all the absentee ballots are counted in Wisconsin and the official results come out. But it's going to be real interesting to see. Back to you, Maine. Right. It's about that vote. Uh, we as a people have to come together and truly vote this man out. And not just, now, I, you know, I know they chant anyone, any blue, as long as it's someone, you know, Democrat. But I don't know, go with Biden, because Biden, is, to me, is a corporate Democrat. I would have. Yeah, but you got no had, choice at this point, Maine. He's going to be the Democratic point, Party's yeah, nominee, barring yeah. some disaster. And he is changing his tune, and he's doing it quickly. The entire right, Democratic Party is going to have to change their tune. You know, I think people have figured this out. Maine, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for the call. John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Tom. How you doing? I appreciate all the stuff that you've done. Today is just a real, it's a bummer because I look at it from the fact that I am an African-American. We are already getting crushed. We are already getting crushed. I mean, even right here in L.A., as I was talking to the lady, the ambulance is going by, they're pulling people off the streets, dead. The coronavirus is killing more black people this is going to be a very bad set of years for my people. Yeah. We're about to die by the hundreds of thousands. It makes it doesn't make no sense to vote. We just need to prepare for the worst because there's no there's no way to stop this. And climate change We've already passed three points of no return. The next point that we're scheduled to hit it is actually in 2022. When we hit that point, close your eyes and imagine. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that so, logarithmic explosion I, of problems that we're seeing, of infections that we're seeing with coronavirus. They're predicting the same sort of logarithmic expansion increase in severe weather and other problems associated with climate change. Uh, back to you, John. You know what else? Do you know what else I found out about that logarithmic problem? That opens up mm. a whole new can of worms, pestilence, that will be coming. Yes. These are brand new, never seen before from climate change. There's a locust swarm crossing Northeast Africa right now. You've got, right you've got now, several yeah, countries that are their crops are being wiped out by locusts. Who ever heard of a, a swarm 40 miles in diameter? Yep. That's what's crossing yep. Africa. And between that and these new diseases, and what people don't know is when a germ of any kind, bacterial or virus, is frozen in ice water such as the tundra it stops animating the minute that sucker gets thawed it gets released it reanimates mm -hmm. yeah no we've seen Who's this with uh, i think it was air. reindeer that were that were fifteen thousand years old that died of anthrax you know when the tundra melted in uh northern siberia because of the global warming and the people discovered these dead reindeer the people who discovered the reindeer died of anthrax poisoning Exactly. This is a problem. Yeah. It's to say the very, very least, it is absolutely a problem. John, thanks to, for pointing it out. It's like, yeah.
And frankly, I'm wondering, speculating, I'll say that right up front, that the coronavirus may well be in our population now because of climate change as well. I mean, why did those bats come into contact with humans or the pangolins? Stephen in San Francisco. Hey, Stephen, thanks for listening to AM 910. What's up? Thank you. Yeah, uh, I wanted to give uh, some credit here to London Breed for being the first mayor in, in the country to do this. And also Mario Cuomo to run the East. And then we have Gavin Newsom running the West since this incompetence has gone on. Yeah, this is what he's going to go with now. Whatever this 13-year-old is, is just going to do, whatever happens. Now, I'd like to have them follow up a question at today's conference that brief conference, of course, be brief, but to ask him if a bit digging mass graves in New York is his idea of victory. Right. You could right. Are we there. winning yet? Are we yeah. winning so much we yeah. can't stand it? Yeah, yeah. Mass graves yeah. in New York City, that's, that's definitely a victory. Stephen, thank you. Tip of the hat to your mayor there in San Francisco. Jim in Ventura, California. Hey, Jim, what's up? Regarding the herd immunity and the failing Fed response, my observation is, you know, they see everything through that lens of power and economy and money. You know, I mean, they have this disease of greed. You know, every tool used then is for self-preservation. And the people around Trump, but not Trump, believe that they're doing good. You know, if that's all you care about. The funny thing is, is that they're susceptible to the virus like everyone else. And then also to use the virus uh, to further their corporate power, solidify the economy under big corporations, for you know, more full takeover and not favor the small business. Yeah. That's my observation. More, more disaster capitalism. Right. So take advantage of the situation and keep working on the same thing they've been doing for years now. I think you can build a strong case that you're right, that this is nothing new. This idea, the herd immunity hypothesis, you know, first put forward by the British health minister and, and I believe adopted by people like Stephen Miller, who I think is 34 years old and probably feels pretty invincible. People who their wealth will protect them. That that hypothesis is like, you know, it's the natural extension of the most brutal forms of capitalism. And, you know, hey, it's survival of the fittest. It's right down there with Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Sandy in Athens, Ohio. Sandy, what's on your mind today? Hey, well, first time, uh, I want to thank you so much for all the uh, brunches with Bernie over the years. They were great. What I'd really like to talk about is this hydrochloroquine that they are going to try out uh, 3,000 cases in a Detroit hospital. And then also I have read that there is a genetic recessive trait that's carried in males, mostly at black males and males of Mediterranean heritage that makes the uh, hydrochloroquine uh, potentially lethal to those people. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about that. This is the people who get heart attacks from it? Uh, yes, uh, heart attacks and also septicemia. Uh, you know, I don't know the specifics about that genetic trait, but I have seen it referenced in news articles. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really a shame that Donald Trump has inserted himself into science. The guy is not a scientist. He doesn't know anything about science. He's a science denier. He denies climate change. It's obscene. And it's equally obscene, Sandy, and thank you for the call. It's equally obscene that the networks are carrying two, three hours of him every afternoon. I am so sick of this. I have to leave the room when he comes on. I have reached the point now where when I hear this man's voice, I get physically ill. I tighten up. This is the man who's responsible for the death of over 13,000 of my fellow Americans because he lied, because he tried to hustle us, and now he's trying to say, oh, but don't worry, it's not so bad, there's a cure. It's, it's beyond obscene. I don't know how to say it beyond that. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Greetings from the sunny suburbs of Philadelphia. I wanted to let people know that there are some bright spots, government responses that I think that are positive and are noteworthy. One, in the, the city of Philadelphia, they have a considerable homeless population, which, according to the governor's mandate to get everyone off the streets, they offered shelters, which many of them have taken up, but there's still a a handful can't or won't, they've been involuntarily removed to a hotel. The mayor bought out an entire hotel, which 
our, our tourist industry has been booming for the last 10 or 15 years. They have the entire hotel available for people who are many of the hospital workers downtown, but also the homeless population to make sure that they don't get sick. And they're also given social work and medical care and whatever treatments they may need. Uh, but to get them off the street and, and to have them as sheltered as anybody else who's sheltering in place, they've given them a home. Yeah, and I think it's great. a tremendous program that could be followed all over the nation. One of the big lessons of the Great Depression, when initially in 1930, 1931, when Herbert Hoover was basically refusing to do anything about it because he was a Republican, there was speculation that riots would break out, and a few did here and there. But by and large, what happened was this crisis brought Americans together, and I think that's going to happen again. Paul, thanks for that. Dwight in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Hey, Dwight, what's on your mind today? I just want to make a point. You know, it wasn't very long ago, Trump was saying... Anybody that don't kneel for the flag or disrespect our flag, get that SOB off the field. You know, right. it's really interesting how he spouts all of this patriotism and stuff and bowing to the flag and saluting the flag and everything like that. And just look at the way Americans treat Americans. I mean, this is just outrageous and it's, it's, it's so appalling. It's, it's, it's awful. If it had been white football players who were taking the knee for cancer research or something, I mean, Trump would be out there with them doing it. The fact of the matter is it was black players who were protesting essentially racism. And that's why that's what got Trump going. It's just like, you know, the Central Park Five. It's like he never misses an opportunity to trash black people. I think that that's what it boils down to, Dwight. It's such a hypocrisy, you know, in seeing this. I couldn't imagine this sort of thing working out like this. But, I mean, this, this virus is just highlighting a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, it is, Dwight. Thank you very much for the call. Good to hear from you. Russ in Portland. Hey, Russ, what's up? Thanks for watching Free Speech. I'm like you. I will not watch the dog and pony show slash campaign rally that Trump puts on in the afternoon. But I listen to my friend Lawrence O'Donnell in the evening, and Lawrence takes little snippets from the dog and pony show, and it was really profound. And basically, there were two occasions in that dog and pony show yesterday where Trump actually spoke the truth. And I'm going to give you both of them, and I'm going to give you thing one is good, but thing two is mind-blowing. And thing one was he said that we have the best testing in the world. That is only true if you are going into the White House. Everyone who goes into this White House gets the state-of-the-art <laughs> quick turnaround test so that the dear leader will not be exposed to the virus. He is a germaphobe. He is a coward. As much as I loathe Boris Johnson, I have to give him his due. He had the cojones to go into the hospitals in England, and he got the virus. That well, he was preaching happened. herd immunity, and so if you're preaching herd immunity, you've got to be part of the herd. Boris Johnson right. at least had some integrity to what he was saying and doing. Yes. But here's thing, too. This is the mind blower. He said, and it's on videotape, you, the American people, will get your testing when I get my economy back. When he said that, two things. He admitted really? that we haven't got really? our testing in the past. We haven't got it now. We will get it when he gets his economy back. And in saying that, he de facto embraces the thesis that we will let this run rampant through the population and the cities will go down people will be afraid to vote in november and he will get reelected. that is amazing and he told the truth Holy for once he kind of slips through every now and then and it's pretty horrifying when it does russ thank you for the call tim in punta gorda florida hey tim what's on your mind today first of all i just wanted to say that uh, i heard you earlier talking about the g word genocide and I agree, and I understand your reluctance to use that term, but I think it's a, a very fine line between willfully wanting to kill people and letting them die of uh, natural causes that are very predictable. Well, it's the difference uh, between homicide and negligent homicide, and, and what we're seeing here, in my opinion, is something that approximates negligent homicide. Yeah, but Go that's ahead. not why I'm calling. Uh, um, what I'm wondering is about the pollution reduction that we're seeing. Um, we've all probably seen the pictures of the clearer skies in the cities, and what I'm wondering is, scientifically, how long do you think it would be before we could actually measure a reduction in the carbon in the atmosphere if we kept up a quarantine like this? And do you think that the energy companies realize this, and that's why they're so desperate to get people back to work and get the economy going again? Because 
that would destroy one of their main arguments that climate change is not man-made. If we could measure a blip in the actual carbon in the atmosphere that could be attributed to this, it would just shatter that argument. There will be a reduction, and they do those measurements at Mauna Loa, the, uh, you know, the observatory up on the volcano in, in Hawaii. I think that's where the kind of gold standard for the world tests come on carbon dioxide. And yeah. probably, depending on how long this lasts, the annual cycle that encompasses this period of time, you know, from February basically and going for the next maybe six months or so, will probably show a leveling off. There, I doubt there'll be a reduction, although it's not inconceivable since it's spring in the northern hemisphere right now and all these plants are sucking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere as they're growing and they convert it into, you know, woody tissue and leaves and things. But I think more importantly, you're going to see a probably more measurable, more immediately measurable. You are not just going to see, we are seeing this massive drop in particulate matter in the soot, in the dust and dirt in the atmosphere, the crud, the stuff that comes from burning diesel and gasoline in particular. Right. And I'm noticing that the skies are not crisscrossed with vapor trails anymore. Louise and I took our walk yesterday and you could see Mount Hood, which is an active volcano about a I don't know, maybe 100 miles from Portland, you could see all the little details of the side of it. Looking to the north, we could see the top of Mount St. Helens, which is way the hell up in Washington state, which you normally can't see because of the air pollution, because of the haze in the air. It was just an absolutely, and it is today, I'm, I'm looking, I can see the mountains, I can see the hillside on the south side of Portland. My windows here in my home office face south, and with a level of detail, I can see the individual trees on the hillside that I never was able to see before. Because, you know, the the city was always full of cars. So I think that that's going to be there. The bigger lesson, I think, is going to be, have we discovered a way to live without carbon pollution or a way to live with a lot less carbon pollution? There's a fascinating article in the Financial Times today speculating that we're going to see Obviously, over the next few months, maybe a year, there is a, an ongoing collapse in the sale of new cars. But their speculation was that when this is over, people having gotten a taste of clean air and, and a cleaner environment are not going to want to go back to gas guzzlers. And so people who are inclined to buy new cars are going to be buying electric cars, plug-in hybrids like what I have, where you know I've burned literally one tank of gasoline in the last 15 months, sure. uh, yeah. the last year and a half because I can plug the car in every night and it'll go 35, you know, 30 miles on a charge. And, you know, in, here in Portland, you can get anywhere and back in less than 30 miles. So I just don't burn gasoline. Once a month, I have to go out and turn off the electric mode for, for you know, a few minutes just to keep the uh, oil moving in the engine because you know, I just yeah. don't use it anymore. You know, I think that this might be a wake up. I hope so, Tim. I really, I really do. I really hope so. We're just going to have to wait and see. So thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you, Tim. Cheryl in Seattle. Hey, Cheryl, what's on your mind? So my daughter is a nurse in Wenatchee, and she came down with a fever yesterday, and they sent her home immediately, gave her a test, sent her home. The test came back negative for COVID this morning, and she Hmm. was told as soon as her fever is 99 to get back to work on the front lines. So my three grandchildren have been sent over to this side of the mountains because she's worried that she might have to quarantine at home. But she's exhausted. They're running fevers just because their bodies are fighting to stay awake, stay standing up. They're eating like crap. People are being very generous to send food to the hospitals, but it's crap. It's Mm -hmm. takeout. And so I worry for those professionals on the front line that they are not even getting the opportunity to keep their immune system bolstered so that they can stay at work and the ungodly hours they're being asked to do. So she totally expects to be back at work 24 hours after getting a COVID test. But wow. she feels well, at least she got the results back from the test in less sleep. than 12 days. Yes, and she got to go home and sleep in her own bed instead of in the car like a lot of these frontline people are doing it's and now she's worrying because she's away from her kids and her kids have to start online schooling and you know it's a mess from the standpoint of we are not putting our resources into the people and processes that are going to make a difference does she think that it's possible that it was a false negative or that she has the flu or something and 
What's with the, the no, symptoms, but not the test? Right. They're getting, generally, they're just getting run down. They're not sleeping. They're not eating good, nutritious food. And so their bodies are just fighting to maintain their own uh, stamina, just taking a toll on them. So they're running these low-grade fevers just because that's the body's natural way of ramping up to fight infection. So a temperature of 99, they still want her back to the hospital. Yeah, remarkable. Amy Vanderpool is blogging about her experience. She has COVID, or believes she has. She hasn't been able to get a test. Um, but she, uh, it's over at the Shiro, S-H-E-R-O, you'd have to just Google it, or Amy huh. Vanderpool. It's fascinating what she's going through. Philip in Island Pond, Vermont, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Philip, what's up? Yeah, I just want to say how awful this whole thing is. My mother is dying slowly. She has kidney failure, and she's an end stage. Oh she's in the hospital now in uh, Newport, Vermont. But the sad part is that we're supposed to have the number one state in healthcare in, in the country compared to all the responses and whatnot that they give out. But the sad part is is that she was trying to get into a healthcare facility for short-term care because they can't stay in the hospital, you know, for an indefinite period of time. So she got approved to go into a healthcare facility, but now they blocked it. Now they're not taking anybody into the healthcare facilities. So they want to send her home. And the most awful thing of everything is she had the COVID-19 test. And then they said, well, we'll know in a couple of days. And then I found out that they canceled her test. So just getting a test, you're not even going to know if it got processed or not. They said, well, you know, we're not. And being 87 years old, I think a lot of the elderly out there are just going to die off because they're going to send her home tomorrow morning, and then they say, well, it's up to you to take care of her. And we don't have the resources. She's on a fixed income, you know, Social Security. I'm on disability, so I don't have the money. And the basic is what the social worker says, says, well, you know, it's up to you. You just have to figure out how to care for her. And this, to me, does is she, the Does she require thing. dialysis? No, they said they're not going to do that because her, her at her age, 87, with her other health conditions, that she probably wouldn't make it through that anyway. So they said, you know, you just have to prepare for her dying. So she really is basically in hospice now. She, she well, is she needs to be, yes. But that's the other hoops and hurdles to go through. With the elderly right now is that, you know, she owns a home. It's not an expensive home by any means, an island pond here. But what I'm learning about, if to get her in long-term care in the future, the house would have to be sold. All she's accumulated in her whole life, this house under $100,000, she has to give it up, I guess, to the state right. or whatever. And so you have to my, wait two years. Or at least that was the case with my mother in Michigan. Now, this may be a state law, but in Michigan, we not only had to, if we wanted to put my mom in a nursing home, we ended up not doing it. My brother Stan took her in, and God bless him and his wife, Cindy. But in Michigan, you had to be broke for two years. You couldn't just hide your assets by giving them to your kids. It had to be two years before you went into a nursing home in order to be covered by Medicaid. I'm guessing it's the same in Vermont. Yeah, Michigan. yeah. I know that's the same here, too. But, you know, that's the awful thing that, you know, for even short term, I can't even we can't even get her in a short term facility because now they blocked it. And first she was fine. They had a room for her. They, you know, isolated her for 14 days coming in. But now she can't get into any short-term care facility at all in Vermont Is that because right they're now. all locked down because of COVID-19? Yes. And this is the most egregious thing, if you think about it. So many elderly out there are not getting... I'm not hearing about it. I watch the national news. I watch all the governors and reports. And nothing's happening to really help our elderly out, who are really the ones that need the help the most right now. This is awful. That's my only comment is, you know, even in Vermont, the great state of Vermont, they still can't provide for everybody here. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Grim stuff. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Tom in Media, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? I have to disagree with you concerning the fact that you believe that Trump might see this as a way to kill off, um, you know, minorities and the weak and people that aren't, you know, his constituents. Because I think when all I'm not suggesting he's trying to actively kill them. I'm suggesting that this survival of the fittest theory suggests that poor people, weak people, old people, they're going to die anyway. If you really want to have a strong workforce and if you want to be able to reopen the Trump golf courses and the Trump hotels, you just need to get it over with. You need to rip the bandage off or the scab off or whatever and let this thing burn through the population. You know, some people are going to die, of course, and we're watching that right now. You you know, we're closing in on 20,000 deaths in the United States. It'll be above that number on Monday. What other possible explanation is there, Tom? Well, possible explanation, I just think that in terms the largest group that's going to die from this are going to be older white males, I believe, is what you're going to see happen when it goes through the rural areas. And they are basically mm. a large part of uh, Trump supporters and constituency, and a lot of them play golf in that sense, and yep. is in travel. But I think that the reason for this is we have to have a balance between limiting the deaths from this virus and also you know, not killing our economy. And politically, I think that, that Trump wants to get the, uh, the, the nation back, too, because it, it would help his, his campaign. I think that without this coronavirus thing, I think that you know, Trump would have... You're presenting a false been... choice, Tom. You can sustain an economy, a country, a sovereign nation that, that can print its own money, can sustain an yeah, economy you... for probably a couple of years uh, with debt-based financing without hyperinflation. Uh, you know, we've seen, we, we saw this in Japan 20 years ago, and they're still running 200% of GDP deficits now 20 years later. But that's how they got out of the recession, you know, of uh, around the early 2000s and the late 90s. They had a very severe recession, and they basically just spent their way out of it. You don't have to make a choice between public health and keeping the economy intact. The problem is that, that the uh, solutions that the Trump administration is promoting, and the solutions, frankly, that the House and Senate are able to get past Republicans are not solutions like are being done by countries, you know, like France and Denmark and Norway and Sweden, where they're, they're saying, at Germany, for example, the Kurzarbeit program, where they're saying to all of their employers, keep your people on payroll, you know, don't, you know, so that we don't have to create all these wild and weird programs, just keep your people on payroll, and we will pay the payroll. We will give you an amount of money equal to the payroll and then or to 80 or 90% of your payroll. And then you just keep paying people. And so people keep getting their regular paychecks. And you know, yeah, the government borrows the money to do it. They'll, they'll reclaim it later on. But to say that we have to make a choice between saving lives or having a functional economy is, is a false choice. It's just a false choice. Once we've got a vaccine or very, very effective treatment, You can reboot this economy if you do it right. Felicia in Lapeer, uh, Michigan, near Flint. What's up? Uh, Flint just got invoked. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for what you do. You give us hope, especially in the arena of accountability that you mentioned earlier today. But in lessons to be learned from President Cuomo, chuckle, (laughs) uh, briefing Mm -hmm. this morning, he he had a slide that said, why are more African-American and Latinos affected by this disease? And in New York State, Latinos are the top group or largest group of deaths in New York State. His slide showed 34% of deaths in New York State are Latinos, and they comprise 29% of the population. Blacks are 28% of deaths in New York State, with 22% of the population. Whites are 27% of deaths, and whites represent 32% of the population. Asians are 7% of deaths, and they are 14% of the population. Other is 4% of deaths, with 3% of the population. Omo said, poorest people pay the highest price. Yeah, when it rains, poor people get wetter. When it's cold, poor people get colder. All of the vicissitudes of life, all of the difficulties that we encounter are far more difficult for poor people and people who have historically been discriminated against and marginalized. And that's what we're seeing right now. We are seeing the right. results of a, of right. a 60, and, 80 and year And there's the data effort. with the Latinos and the blacks and, and so on. Yeah. 
Thank you, Felicia. I thank you very much. We are seeing now the result of those white Southerners who, you know, since the 60s, since LBJ rolled out Medicare and Medicaid, said you cannot expand Medicaid to our people because there's a lot of black people down here in the South. And, and, and they said that they, you know, these white racists did not want those people, uh, the African-American population in the South, to have, to have uh, health care. It's, it's obscene and we're seeing it writ large. And I think that that's what's going on here. Thank you all for your call, and a special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Joyce Vance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, and Chase Sprouse, the people who work on this show to make it happen. Thank you all so much, and thank you to you for being with us this week. I hope you have a blessed weekend, an inspiring weekend. I hope you can help uplift people around you as you share the message about progressive media in America and what we can do to make this country great again, truly great. So get out there, get active, tag your in. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 